welcome to this week's podcast um, on Practice As Research. Um, my name is Nicole Brown and I'm here today with Sarah Young, who is going to talk to us about um, her ideas and, and conceptualizations around Practice As Research. Sarah, do you want to say hello? Yes, hello. So I'm Sarah and I work at the Institute of Education. And I have sort of three areas of research that interlink. So I look, I'm mainly based in applied linguistics, which looks at language and the world around it. I also work in the in the education, but I'm also interested in Polish studies and Polish migration. And the three of those manage to interlink in some way. So that's what I do. Thank you, thank you. Um, and so let's start talking about what practice as research means to you then. How do you define it? Okay, so for me, it's it's got two strands. It's got the creative strand, where you may the researcher themselves might create an artifact or create or a piece of artwork, um, and that contributes to understanding of the research they're doing. But I think the area that I work in more closely is to do with participant research and how participants can contribute in a much bigger way to pieces of research. So it might be creating artwork with the participants, or it might be asking them to do something that, that, that then becomes incorporated in, in what you're looking at. So I think it's that element of participatory research that, that for me is quite an important strand of practicing research. Is that how you define your own work, that you're doing participatory research rather than practice as research? Probably yes. And I think I was alerted to this by one of the first pieces of research I did working with a group of teenagers. So there were Polish teenagers who'd come to live in the UK. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to know about your experiences. And one of the boys got really excited and was like, oh, I'm going to be in a book. This is so fantastic. I can, I can be me in a book. And I had this sort of awkward experience of saying, well, it's not actually going to have to be you because I need to change your name and, and some of the locations. And it's not quite a book. It's going to be a printed thing. And I suddenly thought, how much better would it have been to get them all involved in this, in creating some piece of... Mm um either written work or artwork or published work that involved them in a greater extent and I think that's what got me thinking about this it's not always possible but that would have enhanced the project I was doing with them so I, I agree with what you're saying I mean the, the 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 difficulty I guess is that um when you're doing participatory work and and when it's when it's labeled as participatory research there are particular kind of expectations of how that research plays out and what it looks like um is that something that you are you know now that you're kind of you know more engaged within the practice as research framework if you like or you're starting to think about it is that how you you are you reframing your own research practices that's basically what I'm, I'm interested in <laughs> it's something I'm thinking about doing I wouldn't say I, I jumped in there quite yet because to me I think one of the key things that then comes up is as you touched on participants expectations and what do they think is coming out of this and also something that I'm I'm involved with sort of as another strand of the work I do is the ethical question of it if you've got participants involved in your research, which is great, it's supposed to be anonymized, but if they don't want anonymity, does that put them at any risk that they're not aware of? And particularly sort of moving on from that, if you're, if you're working with people who are outside the system, it could be quite damaging to them. And so it's a very, very fine line between wanting that full involvement, but then as a researcher feeling that you have to impose limits on that, 
because of ethical issues that you perhaps understand more clearly than the person who's very enthusiastically getting involved. I, I agree. Um, I mean, this is the one thing that um, um, I, I'm always kind of trying to pursue as well, is that actually ethics cannot be something that's just at the beginning of a research process. It has to be negotiated um, and it has to be relational um, and, and it has going to, it's got to go through the process. So it's got to be um, procedural as well in that sense that you kind of negotiate um, the different stages where you are with your research. Um, can I just ask, does that mean in terms of kind of your idea of practice as research or participatory research, um, is, is it that doing something is practice as research? Is that, is that how we should be defining it? I think it's one of the definitions. I think it's such a great umbrella term practice as research that I think certain things sit underneath it. But people who work in more very broadly termed creative or artistic field where you will get a piece of music or a piece of artwork and it, it means one thing for those of us who work in fields that don't always lead to those sorts of outcomes I think one way of approaching it is how far do we involve participants or stakeholders yes. um, so for example I, I did a project last year on um, language schools so Saturday schools during the pandemic and how they were dealing with it and I was then asked to to join a, an online discussion with complementary schools Saturday school heads from different languages and how they were dealing with it and what recommendations we could make to heads to parents to people who were just in the community who were interested and to me that was a very interesting exchange of ideas and counted as something towards the research um, and the other thing, I mean, on a very practical level, is that you do a piece of research in a very traditional way and you send it to be, you know, to be reviewed and the whole process takes a whole year. You set up something with some stakeholders and it's a lot quicker to start discussing what you're doing. Um, now, I, I appreciate this peer review and I appreciate there's academic rigor, which perhaps we'll move on to. But what struck me is that the data collection for the project finished in November 2020. The academic papers are just undergoing review. Meanwhile, this, meanwhile, the stakeholder meeting was held sometime in the spring. Yes. And so I think practicing research allows you to, to get some of that research out there, even if it is as a preliminary stage, even with all the caveats of it needs peer review, it needs rigor, but it does allow for greater engagement at an earlier stage. And I think that's increasingly important. I, I really like what you're saying there. And I agree that there's kind of, you know, like this is almost becoming an, an action research in itself in that, you know, you, you're coming up with some findings and straight away they're put into, into implement, into action, they're being implemented. And actually potentially by the time you've, you've started writing your research journal, um, the situation is already a little bit different because, because certain things have already happened there in terms of the development of things. Exactly. So I think it's an interesting, I think it's something that needs exploring. But again, it needs to be something that's underpinned with rigor. It needs to be underpinned ethically. Um, and that's something that I think is important to consider going forward. So one of the questions that I've um, kind of got that I, I, I do want to ask people is, um, why do you do practice as research? Is that the reason why you're doing it? Because it's kind of quicker and, and, and it goes 
sort of you, you can see some kind of um, outcome or, or, or results straight away? I think partly that, but that's not the main thing. I think it's that engagement with the people that it involves. Um, so as I say, my work on, on one set of Saturday schools might, uh, might really help other people who are working in other areas as well. And by that, I don't mean academics researching it. I mean, the actual practitioners, the actual stakeholders. And to me, sometimes that gets lost in the research. We're very interested in publishing. We're very interested in having academic discussions, which are incredibly important and I enjoy being a part of. But I do like to feel that any research I do actually does touch people that I'm talking about. It's not some abstract thing out in the ether that, that no one's actually going to be involved with. So I think that's why I like it. It actually involves people. Um, and what it do you think? Sounds obvious. Yes, no, but I, I agree with you. But 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 what what do you feel are then the challenges of doing that kind of, of research um, as you get getting engaged um, in practice as research? I think I think as I said, one of the challenges is keeping that rigor. So you've got a piece of research that speaks to two different audiences and that's that, that sort of speaks to two different areas of interest. Um, and I think it is managing participant expectations. You can't go in there and say, oh, I just discovered this and I'd like to change the world and change everything with it. Um, but at the same time, nor do I want to be someone who goes and goes, hey, I have all the answers because I've done this piece of research. So I think it's important to keep it as an exchange um, and to be aware of the limitations of it. It's great going into it going, okay, this will help people. This is a form of social activism but what are the outcomes actually going to be? And I think managing participant expectation, and again, I, I go back to that example of the teenager who thought he was gonna have a book about him, um, and then just got, you know, spiral bound, you know, report that, that came out. Um, I think it's important to go in there being quite open about what you can do and what you can't do with it. Uh, what we might like to do is a different matter, but I think being realistic with it is important. So um, one of the things that that I'm wondering, as you are talking about, you know, the quite sort of, com how, how should I say, um, probably boundaried research projects, let's call it that, they are quite boundaried in that you're working with a particular group of stakeholders, a particular group of participants who are somehow attached to those stakeholders. So you've got kind of, you know, quite a boundaried project there. How do you see the generalizability, because obviously that's something that within within the with the wording of academic journals, um, we're always talking about, you know, how how can we generalize from from this particular research to the bigger society? So, how do you feel about the generalizability from these kinds of boundaried projects, what that are practiced as research, to to wider issues? I think there are two things there. So firstly, it sounds as though it's very boundary led, but if I'm talking about, for example, Saturday schools and the Polish community, which is what I deal with, that has implications for society, for how we view heritage language learning, how we view heritage language communities, uh, migrant communities. So I think they do speak to much, much bigger picture, to much more bigger, um, sort of a much bigger perspective and a societal perspective. So while I don't claim that any piece of research I do is going to change the world, it might open some of those 
or start some of those conversations. The other thing is that I'm, a lot of the work I do is based on individuals and their individual experiences. Now, the argument is, well, you can't generalize from an individual. No, you can't, but my argument would be that perhaps we overgeneralize. So again, going back to discussions about migration, people are grouped together as a problem, as a societal issue. And we don't look at the individual, which means it's very difficult to relate to those group of people. Now, if we sort of work in a different way and think, well, let's look at the individual rather than trying to generalize, perhaps we can help to create a greater sense of empathy. Perhaps we can start challenging discourses about who these people are, whichever group we're talking about. And so while we're not generalizing, in a sense, we're looking inwards and getting that individual empathy, which hopefully then leads to a more open society. Perhaps that's a very lofty aim, but that's no, the no, way that I—that's no, no, the no. way I try and look at it. Um, <laughs> because people are are too generalised, particularly nowadays. And I think the way to break those barriers down is to look at the individual and say, actually, what does that person feel? What has that person experienced? Could you, as an individual, imagine yourself being that individual rather than that group of people? And I think that's where it becomes important. I mean, obviously, I'm playing devil's advocate here, you know, because I'm I'm totally with you on all of what you've said. My argument often is when people say to me, you can't uh, generalize from the lift experience of one person or perhaps a group of five people to, to the wider, um, you know, society or the wider bigger picture. My argument is always, well, if I wanted to generalize in that way, I would have done a survey for 200 or 2000 people. <laughs> but that's not what is of interest to me. So I'm sticking with the lift experience of a few <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean this is something I find quite interesting because I I come from a background of um studying English and narrative literature so I'm very interested in narratives in storytelling how different people form their stories in different contexts and while that's to do with sort of fiction the stories that people create around themselves as individuals are not fictitious but they are equally crafted Yes. And so I'm very interested in how those stories are crafted and the factors that come into that crafting um, and the language that's used to create those stories. I do, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, you know, we all, we all, as individuals, we all present ourselves in different ways, in different circumstances. I mean, I just need to think of myself as, you know, whether I'm a teacher or whether I'm a mum or whether I'm a wife or whether I'm a daughter, um, I'm, I'm behaving in different ways because, yeah, you, you, it's a different way of how you present your, your authority and, and your role and, and how you embody that. So totally, I agree with you. Can I just ask out of interest? I don't actually know that. So I'm going to ask, um, as you said, you're interested in, in uh, narratives and the fiction writing and crafting. Do you also create um, those kinds of vignette writing or, or journal writing, fiction writing, you know, kind of fiction writing, for example, or other creative writing parts to, to help you um, analyze data, for example? I don't use it myself, but in a in a sort of academic sense, I draw on a lot of literary theory to understand or to analyze um, narratives that, that I've recorded or that narratives I've, I've sort of acquired from participants. 
I'm, I'm just asking because um, uh, some people are obviously creating, you know, for example, poetry from from transcripts or from research. And, and again, that's their kind of interpretation of practice as research. And I was just trying to kind of find out whether that's something that you have engaged with and, and tried out as well. Um, so can I just ask which body of literature in general do you use to help define and refine your own work? Is there anything in particular that you would recommend that you've that you found or find helpful to, to kind of, you know, like reframe what it is that you do? As I say, it's it's a bit unusual to come in using literary theory to look at real life narratives, but that's something I do quite a lot. Um, as a sort of starting point, I think, well, what are people creating around themselves? Yeah. I'm very fond of um, work of Mikhail Bakhtin because he was a linguist as well as a literary theorist and had a, a very interesting take on uh, plurilingualism. And so that speaks to my work in applied linguistics. So I generally see, see my, um, the data that I've collected in those terms and then try and, and, and think about what linguistic theories it might sit with or what migration theories it might sit with but I very often will take a literary theorist's approach first <laughs> and then and then sort of work outwards from that it doesn't work for everybody and as I say I think it's because of my training originally in literature that's just it's the way I see the world it's the, the thing that shaped my academic yeah perceptions of the world and so to me it's my sort of default setting and and that's great though that's that's great though so so how what are your plans then to developing your own research practice in the future so what's what's the the, the next kinds of how do you envisage um developing um your your particular approach of, of of practice as research i think as i said before it would be nice to get people more involved in writing their own things um, assuming that we can cross the ethical bridges of that and that there are obviously discussions to be had. Mm. But I think if they can create something more tangible that could then be showcased or then be, be made as part of an argument. And so it was even more of a co-construction than, than perhaps this research is anyway. Um, that would be quite interesting. If, for example, I went into a particular Saturday school and asked the ask the students there to draw something or bring something or talk about something that meant something to them um, and then added into whatever it was I was sort of using as an output. Um, yeah. And who knows, you may be writing your own Elizabethan sonnet as well. Well, there we go, you see. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Sarah, for, for this conversation. It was really, really interesting. It was great to have you here. It was great to hear from, from your projects. Um, you. Anyone who's listening, um, please do check out the website um, and the links will be made available um, in the chat boxes. Thank you. Thank you.